Your Story with Melinda Estabrooks, an exclusive presentation of Faith Strong Today. Listen for new episodes every Monday and subscribe to the podcast at faithstrongtoday.com. Our stories have the power to connect us, to inspire us, and give us courage. On Your Story with Melinda, your story matters. Well, welcome to a special, very special edition of Your Story with Melinda because it's Christmas time and tis the season, I don't know if it's to be jolly, but I think it's to be maybe contemplative, to be thoughtful, to be generous. And what better person to have in the studio than the Young Street Mission President and CEO, Andrei Draskovic, amazing woman who's going to share with me, share with you as listeners and viewers all about giving. Uh, the spirit of giving, you know, how we should come to Christmas, the kind of posture we should have as we say, okay, here's the Christmas season. How should our hearts be? How should our minds and hearts be attuned to the needs of others around us? Angie is a pretty incredible woman, not only the president and CEO of Young Street Mission, located in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. She also founded and led Zoe Alliance Incorporated, here it is, a for-profit social enterprise that equipped and empowered village-based businesses in developing nations for sustainable growth. She has had over 16 years in the telecommunications world, and she is one pretty amazing woman that is smart and wise and we're going to learn so much from her today. So let's welcome Angie to the show. Angie, welcome. Thank you, Melinda. It's great to be here. And Merry Christmas. Thank you. <laughs> Did you notice everybody's going to be like, wow, it's a, it's a new tablecloth. You have beautiful. glitter bows. And I, I brought it all out for you, Angie, for our Christmas special. I feel very special. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, let's start off. I want to get to your story, but I think it's because we're talking about Christmas and it is about, you know, the spirit of giving and I didn't want it to be about, you know, just all the fluff and everything else. I had you here because I, I think it's important for people to hear about the needs and how we start off or within the season to have that posture of generosity, kindness to those that are really hurting. And I guess I just want, it's just a conversation about your thoughts about about that and how you kind of come into the season with that posture as well. Yeah, I mean, I was listening actually to Christmas carols on the way here. And I think that this season, whether people, whatever people believe, Mm -hmm. kind of fosters a spirit of generosity and really actually a desire for community when you think about it. I was actually reflecting on the songs I was listening to, and so many of them were longing for community, longing for relationship. Mm -hmm. And the more I think about that, and the more I reflect on Christmas every year, just even in the context of what the Bible has to say and what it's all about in the first place. It is really rooted in God's heart for community when you think about it. And so that giving, when you think about giving, I think about giving in the context of that actually being love overflowing into action. Mm -hmm. That's what giving is, when it's done with good intentions and the right heart. Oh, that's beautiful. We're going to get back to that because I think I want to, you know, sort of unpack that and and open that up a bit more, even as I'm working through uh, being like a new mom Mm -hmm. with, you know, my stepkids, how I would foster that in them as a young age to look at the world through that lens, right? Mm -hmm. But let's go back because, I mean, you've done a lot in telecommunications. You're now the president and CEO of Young Street Mission that's been around since 1896, which you have... (laughs) 
clearly. Did not found. Did not found. <laughs> the CEO president, not the founder of, but it's been around since 1896. Yeah. I was reading through sort of the, the history line, wow, mm-hmm. uh, through the Depression and, and how you've served uh, the people of Toronto so well and mm-hmm. so uh, being so present in this in this great city. Um, but for you, how did it begin for you in your own faith journey? And then you ended up as president CEO of Young Street Mission, because I think it's a it's a pretty significant move, you know, for you. Yeah, you know, it's not the logical career path, is <laughs> <Right>. it? Yeah, <laughs> telecommunications <True. laughs> to social entrepreneur to YSM. Yeah, um, and people ask me that often. I think really the answer is it's been my personal journey of you know realizing my Ephesians two ten what God created, the works God created in advance for me to do. Mm -hmm. And the journey actually began in earnest while I was still in telecommunications. Uh, I was a kid who grew up who really never knew what I wanted to be Mm -hmm. when I grew up, which I think resonates with a lot of people. A lot of people, absolutely. Myself included. (laughs) Um, And myself included, even today. (laughs) (laughs) So it was, you know, I think it was at the tail end of a very successful telecommunications career where I just really kind of fell into it, not out of any sort of intent or plan. Mm -hmm. And it was a fantastic career. But I went back after Matt leave after my youngest was born and really just started praying because I knew this wasn't it. And I didn't know what it was. And so I thought I came across that verse. And you know how it is sometimes it actually sinks in for the first time. (laughs) And I read it and I thought, okay, God, well, if you created good works in advance for me to do, Mm -hmm. and I have no clue what I want to be when I grow up, why Mm -hmm. don't you just show me and lead me into it? And that was the beginning of the journey. And uh, and that led to a series of steps, which included realizing, you know, my skill set is a sales and marketing skill set. That's mm-hmm. how I, I, you know, what I did in business. And and so realizing that that's really an advocacy skill set when you think about oh. it. And Yeah, and, I never thought, actually, I've never connected the two. Yeah, yeah. And so, Interesting. And that my heart was to advocate for the poor and vulnerable. And so a series of steps along the way that led me to here. That's a very, you know, extreme world to this world. I, I mean, were, were you afraid? Was there like, you know, I don't know if I can do this. It's going to take a lot of sacrifice, and a lot of me in it. Like what, what is your thinking as you're kind of going through this process to say, you know, to help, it's going to be involving my whole self and this the emotions of it and the relational part of it. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a lot in that, right, that you have to Yeah, so much. Do. Well, and the, and the great thing is, I guess you don't really know what you're getting into all at once, right? right? So it yeah. sort of reveals itself to you step <laughs> by step along the way. <laughs> I don't know if I would have the courage to do it if I'd have known. But yeah, no, it, it was a really gradual step by step, a very clear sort of grace for each decision in the moment. Because leaving mm-hmm. telecom and business Business, which mm-hmm. is quite lucrative, and going into nonprofit is is different. Yeah, it has an adjustment associated with it, and uh, and that was a gentle curve in. Right, it was a step by step decision making process. So first employed for organizations, and then when I started my own social enterprise, which was real, uh, really a very clear calling mm-hmm. uh, of God on my life to do that in a very clear season of preparation. Like I couldn't be doing what I was, what I'm doing now, mm-hmm. if I hadn't done Zoe. That's for sure. Yeah. And there's much of what I learned through that experience that I'm now applying in, in the context of YSM in an urban yeah. industrial context. The step, the leaping off the cliff to start Zoe wasn't the first step, right? The first step was working for another organization, doing fundraising right. for them. And so there was these steps that sort of that's prepared good. me along yeah. the way. Angie, that's good. I think for myself and, you know, listeners and viewers, I think that's 
a good reminder that sometimes in life it is the steps. Like mm-hmm. sometimes we want to go from A right to like M mm-hmm. and just, you know, get there very quickly, especially for, I think, young people. It's like you come out of university and you're like, well, I want to be the VP of, yeah. you know, yeah. whatever, yeah, you know, yeah. Pixar or, you know, you know, Apple, whatever it is. But I think that's good to be reminded of, especially listening to you, that there are steps and sometimes it's, you're not quite there yet, but it's building on to get you there. And like you said, before you got to YSM, this work with Zoe really has helped you, the mm-hmm. things that you did in your position now as CEO. Yeah. And yes. that's good. I think that's that's good for us to know that, you know, be patient sometimes in the process. Yeah. You know, uh, to where, you know, I think God is leading. I mean, sometimes God doesn't just drop you into the ultimate job and you know, vocation, but sometimes he wants you to be led through the process to learn other things. Well, and I think it's all preparation. I yeah. mean, truth, and yeah. that's very biblical, right? You mm-hmm. see these seasons of preparation. Fortunately, it wasn't 40 years. <laughs> I'm really glad. Thank uh, you, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but you, you know, I needed it. Yeah. I needed it. I needed all the things that I learned along the way. It's good. Yeah. So you end up now Urban Center Toronto. Yeah. You know, Toronto, wonderful, beautiful you know, city, known all over the world. People love it. I, I love Toronto. And I know that in every urban center, there's great need. I think when I was looking at, you know, stats numbers on the YSM website, I was a little shocked mm. because the numbers for Toronto, so you're saying about Toronto proper is about 2.5 million people. The numbers I saw, and I want to talk about this because I think as we kind of lead into, you know, that spirit of generosity that we talked about earlier in the show, you know, on the website it says 500,000 people in Toronto are living in poverty, within poverty, and 1.5 or one paycheck away from poverty. Okay, that's astonishing considering that would be 2 million people out of 2.5 that are right on that edge or are in poverty now. That is, I think those numbers really shocked me because I don't think I thought it was that big. Yeah. I didn't think that, I, you know, honestly, Angie, I didn't think the need was that huge. Yeah. And it's shocking, especially in light of, I mean, one of the things I often say when I'm talking to people is, if you pay attention to the media, you'll see every other month or so some side of sort of global report being released mm-hmm. that actually rates Toronto as the first, second, or third best city in the yes. world to live in. Yeah, I've read those. Right. Yeah, I've right? read those on, like, I think Huffington Post or some other, like, things that, you know, I'm online. Right, and they yeah. have different measures and, and metrics that they're basing that on, but it's consistent that we're in that top yeah. stratosphere. And I was geeky enough to look up how many cities there are in the world. <laughs> I was. Okay. There's 4,416 cities in the world. 4,416 cities in the world. And we're one, two, or three. That's huge. Across what multiple measures. So no idea. So we have a lot of resources here. There's re- Globally speaking, we yeah. have the most resources. And so it's really not necessary. So then what's the issue? How can there be that many people living in poverty in our city when it seems like that exactly, you know, rated top. We've got lots of resources. You know, why would that be? Because I think that's that's huge. I thought, honestly, it'd be in the like 50,000 or 100,000. You're yeah. talking 500,000 people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what, what does that define? What does poverty mean? Like, what are they living yeah, yeah, yeah. within? So, yeah. so the metric we use is low income measure after taxes. Okay. Uh, there's no perfect uh, measure, mm. but it's the one that most people seem to use. So then it creates uniformity when you talk about it. Right. And it's a good metric because it's uh, it's based on family unit size and where you live and cost of living to some degree okay. to determine where the, where the line should be. Okay. So for example, a, a couple with one child, the low income measure after taxes has them having a monthly income of about $1,700. 
and the average rental for a one-bedroom unit in the city of Toronto is $1,100. So you do the math. Their, their gross is seventeen forty-three, and their rent is 1100 Can't do it. Yeah, yeah. And that's not including, well, I mean, you're talking groceries, you're talking gas or bus fare or transit, you're talking Well, and they can't, they can't. So the average food bank user at the Young Street Mission, after they um, pay their housing costs, so their hard fixed housing costs every month, they've got $6.63 a day left for everything else. <gasps> Are you serious? That's it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a different city. Yeah. This is not our parents' or our grandparents' immigration experience. It's, you, you know, when you've got that amount of money to work with, how do you work your way out of poverty? It's not a pull-up-your-socks situation and get to it. Uh, there's, there's a discontinuity in the structure of our society that's made it really kind of impossible without some, some significant changes. So, okay, so that's big because I know that, you know, there's three sort of whys wise of that many people in poverty, and you've mentioned, but there's, so the three that, I mean, we talked to before the show, because I, I didn't even think about that. So we just discussed this about the housing issue. Yeah. So, you know, housing and rental costs in Toronto, or even to buy a home, impossible yeah. for people, right? I mean, I've been looking at that from, you know, they, they always are comparing like Vancouver and Toronto, and it's crazy. Mm-hmm. So you said housing is an issue. So that causes a problem with, you know, for finances is that people can't afford you know, they're living, or if they do, then they don't have a lot of other income left. Right. So you said, yeah. there's two others. There's one on employment. Th- employment, yeah. yeah. Talk about that because that's a big one too. Because a lot of people would say, well, they should just get a job. Yeah, exactly. People that are on the street, and, and I've heard this. I mean, yeah. people that are on the street, people that are homeless, get a job. Yeah, yeah. There's tons of like quick service jobs that they could do. They could work it. You know, and what you're saying is that's that's not you know either feasible or that that's really incorrect in, in saying that and I've heard that in many conversations yeah yeah and it's just because everything's changed and it, I mean I understand why people think that because we have this you know unless you're an indigenous person we all have an immigrant story in Canada right so we all know successful immigrant stories yeah that's in our in our history and our background so that's why people think that way mm-hmm. so I get that what has changed significantly is the employment structure in Canada and in Toronto in particular. We're the income inequality capital of Canada in Toronto. And uh, and so what that means, the Toronto Board of Trade put out a report about a year and a half ago that shows that the vast majority of new jobs that are being created are part-time without benefits. So when our parents or grandparents came to Canada and they were able to get a full-time job with benefits in perhaps a unionized environment at a living wage, they were able to work hard and move forward in their lives. Well, now people are coming to Canada or they are already in Canada and trying to find a job and they're getting 20-hour-a-week jobs without benefits at minimum wage, which is around $12. When you combine that reality with the housing cost reality, if you have not enough income and not a sufficient place to live, there's only one possible outcome, and it's not good, mm-hmm. right? And that's what's leading to the situation that we see with homelessness. Incredible. The other point, too, is that you're seeing a lot of people that walk through your doors or receive your services that are from war-torn countries, mental illness. You know, that's sort of the third part of, like, why we exist, why we do the work that we do. Mm-hmm. Angels are more people that that have mental illness that are from the city? Like, is it... 
is there more or is it has it always been these issues and we just never thought of it or saw it or what you know what is why that stat is so big and so high as far as the needs yeah you know i don't know i mean i think there's probably a number of factors one is the is policy based and I, I don't say this to slam government because sometimes people in their best efforts make policies and they don't know the trickle down effect 10 years later that it's going to create mm-hmm. but the the issue being that a lot of mental health beds were closed down a lot more outpatient services as an approach and the so then you see people moving out onto the street because the support services aren't there mm-hmm. and the biggest boom in homelessness you can actually see occurred right after that happened. And then you layer in the income challenges, the issues of making it so difficult to get established in Canada. That introduces trauma in the home. Um, You know, for example, if you were a person, I mean, to get into Canada, you actually have to have some significant qualifications sometimes, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So if you were a doctor or a lawyer or whatever, where you came from, and you come here, and you can't even, maybe even get the taxi driving job, and you're sitting around at home, what does that do to you? And what does that then start to do to the family? So we actually introduce trauma through the immigration experience into families that then starts to lead to breakdown. And depending on the resiliency of individuals, they can end up with mental health issues. Wow. So many layers, eh? Yeah. I'm so thankful for the work that you do with YSM. I think that's so important and needed all year round, not just at Christmas. Mm-hmm. As you are the CEO and president and you're overseeing this and you know the issues of, you know, the people in the city, I think maybe just educating me and our viewers and listeners, how do you begin to start wrapping your head around how to help practically, how to have this, you know, spirit of generosity? Because sometimes, you know, we we say that we we are and we throw a few bucks here or there's a crisis and we throw money here or... You know, or we're like, you know, we want to just care for our family. That's important. And it starts at home. Mm -hmm. There's many things. But when you hear that many needs in our city, we must do something. And yet, how do we begin that journey of of moving ourselves to say, you know, I need to I need to give. I need to do something to help. Yeah. Yeah. I think that and I've been doing this myself probably just in the last few months. Some new insights as I've been pondering it around reframing our thinking on giving. Altogether, You know, we, it's, it's not episodic. It's God's design for community when you think about it. Mm-hmm. And going all the way back to some very basic scriptures, right? All, the, all of the laws of the prophets are summed into, up into two, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Your neighbor. The original design is a communal design, not an individualistic design. And we live in a Western society that's individualistic, so that's the challenge, and it feels countercultural. Mm-hmm. But we were meant to be in community and care for one another. And, and so... When you think about that, and then the, the key word being love, and then God says, if you love me, obey my commands. Mm. So love demonstrates itself in obedience. It just it starts to flow through such that, that giving is, is other-centered in a community context where we're just loving one another. It's really all that simple when you think about it. And I came across a passage actually just uh, a couple months ago And again, you know, you reread a a passage you've read a million times and then it sticks with you, Mm -hmm. right? But 1 Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 15, part of it is one we'll all remember. It just says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We all know that, Mm -hmm. right? But how do you get there? Yeah. Right? And it's in the context of love just overflowing out of our gratitude, but it's also, and this is the interesting part that really stuck with me, that I really hadn't connected with before, that this love, this giving is a service 
that not only supplies needs, but also overflows and causes many expressions of thanks to God. So the idea is that our obedience in giving and providing for others in need all year round will actually cause others to see that and praise our God. That's what this says. Read that again, Angie, one more time. So giving simply flows out of love, and in God's heart and design for community, it draws those who don't know God to Him. Right when they, when when people see us, it actually says the the scripture says in verse thirteen, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for your obedience, that accompanies your confession hmm. of the gospel of Christ, mm-hmm. and for your generosity in sharing with them and with anyone else. And in their prayers for you, for you, their hearts will go out to you because of this surpassing grace God has given you. So wow, it really is a complete reframing. Yeah, it's actually just being the church. <laughs> Right? Giving is just being the church. church. See, that's, that's, that should be said everywhere. Because I think we have made giving as this act, you know, that you do. You know, you see any give. or yeah. Which isn't anything, because anybody can do that. Yeah. Like, you just give. I mean, it, it's easy. It's like, you know, here, here's a check. Here's whatever. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it, what you're really saying, it's this sort of this holistic part of being in relationship with God and with one another. Yeah. That it flows out of you because out of obedience and out of the gratitude of what God has given to you, you naturally just give and people go, whoa, why, what's the motivation behind what she's giving? Her personhood, why? And, and you direct people back to because I'm so thankful for what God has done yeah. for me. Yeah, and so if you walk around ha. with sort of other-centered focus and you're just looking for people to love on every day, yeah, and, and that's a lens, then it, it's not always money. I mean, it can be... I think actually in the context of homeless people, people often are uncomfortable and don't know what to do when they come Mm -hmm. across a homeless person. I mean, often it's just sitting down beside them, having a chat. That's the biggest gift you could give. I remember when I was in New York City last year and there was this young girl sitting there and uh, we were busy. I mean, we were sort of like touring a bit. Yeah. And it was like, it's something about it. God does this to me every time. And I was compelled. And everybody was walking past. And so I said, you guys, go on ahead. So I just sat down right on the sidewalk with her. And she kind of looked at me. Yeah. Uh, you know, pierced everywhere, crazy green, or like extreme, hardened face. And she didn't like it at first. I said, hey. I said, hey, just saw you. What's your name? And she kind of looked at me like, yeah. You know, I was like, uh, name. I said, yeah. And I said, and a real name would be great. I know you've got nicknames, but a real name. And I think it was like, it was like Angela. And we just talked. Mm-hmm. And it was really amazing. I mean, she had come from like somewhere like Idaho or had crisscrossed over with her boyfriend. And now they're sitting there and they had no money. And they thought New York was going to be the place for them. And But we sat and talked for a while. And it was really neat because she looked at me. She goes, you know, no one has, people have thrown money in today. She goes, but no one has ever looked at me and said, What's your name and who are you? Yeah. And she goes, you have time to meet my boyfriend. I said, well, when's he coming? She's like, oh, he'll be here in like an hour. I'm like, I can't stay for an hour. But it was really neat because you know what, Angie, I realized they are people. And, you know, it could have been my, you know, my a younger sister, a niece, a friend, and there they are. Yeah. And, and it was really sad and heartbreaking. She goes, it's not what I thought it would be. Yeah. yeah. And that, and, and she's nothing. And I said, well, what about your mom and dad? And she just looked at me and she goes, never. I can never go back. And. Didn't want to go there. She mm-hmm. didn't want to go there, and that was fine. But so I said, you know what? Give me a hug. And that's uncomfortable for me because she was like filthy yeah. and stinky. But I was like, it's not about me. Gave her a big hug. We got both very teary. Yeah. And I said, you know, I, I could buy you a meal or anything. What you know? She's like, I oh, know, I don't. She goes, actually, that's what she said. She goes, I don't need anything from you. You know, what you did was enough 
just to be with me. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, I was crying. I mean, even just thinking about it, it was very emotional. And so I said, you know, do you mind if I just say a prayer? Mm-hmm. And she's like, she goes, I knew you were religious. That's what she said to me, <laughs> religious. I knew you were religious. Yeah. I said, yeah. Well, I, and she goes, but it's funny, you didn't, you know, it wasn't, there was no agenda. So I did a prayer for her. I put my arm around her, just prayed for her safety, for her love with her boyfriend, that he wouldn't leave her, that he would protect her, that they'd find a way to safety. Mm-hmm. And then we hugged again and I left. But it was one of those moments where I think that's, you know, I think what you said is is so true is that it, it's easy to sometimes just throw money at them, you know, versus spending the time to be with them. Yeah. And we have to see people that way, right? I mean, yeah. I think that's, a, that's not even just the spirit of Christmas. That's the spirit in which I think for humanity and humankind should be with people because they're all, it's, they're all people that have the same loves and dreams that you do too. Yeah, absolutely. It's heartbreaking. It's like, it, it is, yeah. um, so as we, uh, we have just a few minutes, Angie, I could talk to you forever because there's so many things. Uh, as we go, as we are in the season, mm-hmm. um, that, what you just said was profound. That actually really touched me. I've been, I'm going to, I need to process that after the show. But, you know, last thoughts as far as, you know, just your experience and what you do for people to encourage them, not for, not just for Christmas, but for, you know, the coming years, what would you say in that as far as, you know, the generous spirit, mm-hmm. the other-centeredness mm-hmm. um, as we go? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that I would just say I would encourage people to see everybody, Imago Dei, made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. Try to see them the way God sees them. And then it's like when you think about the best gifts you've ever given in your life, when you go back to sort of the Christmas season, mm-hmm. um, you know, my daughter was dancing around the house because she was so excited about her gift. I was delighted because she was delighted. I don't know how much I spent on that gift. I mean, it was within my budget, yeah. but I'm not thinking about the money because I'm thinking about her delight. Mm. And in the case of this this woman, Angela, that you sat and you talked with, you were thinking about her her benefit Mm-hmm. and her having value as a human being. So when we give, whatever you decide to give, this season or all year round, I think it's if we do it out of a spirit of really valuing people mm-hmm. and recognizing 500,000 is a statistic, but they're all people. Yeah, Imago Dei, made in the image of God, of immense value. Let whatever people decide to give come out of that. Mm, it's beautiful. And I think they're, especially in this season, even for me, Angie, I think it's going to be important for me to just have some quiet time to just reflect. I think, one, what you've really said to me is that sense of gratitude for what God has given us. And even though it's been some brutal, hard times in my own life and in many people, because they're like, how can I say gratitude? You can, there's always things that you can say, God, thank you for. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good good thing to do. Yeah. And and out of that, as we thank him, that sense of God, give me that, you know, that the spirit of, of generosity is, and not only that, but this the eyes to see others in the way that you do, mm-hmm. you know, Imago Dei, yeah, you yeah. know, in in the image of you, every single person, even though they annoy you or they're different from you or... For sure. They're just at a different place on the road. Yeah, absolutely, right? Because yeah, yeah. I could be, I could have been there too based on decisions or if I didn't have a family and community that didn't support me through it all. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I think the other thing i just quickly say is it's not hopeless. Like yeah. as, as scary as all those stats sound... Yeah. We have so much wealth here, you know, back to where we are yeah. and, uh, and, a, and a, an awareness of that. We have so much giftedness. And, uh, and really, I think the answer, while there are systemic issues that need to be addressed around housing costs and employment and income and all that stuff, we have it within us mm-hmm. to support one another in community. We actually have enough here. Um, and and we, we can't forget that. We can't get hopeless. 
because it's too important. Yeah. Yeah. Angie Draskovic, I Merry Christmas. Thank you. <laughs> uh, thank you for this really heartwarming conversation. I learned a lot and some deep things within my own heart as we go into this Christmas season that I think I need to do uh, some business with God into. I think every one of us on our journey mm-hmm. you know, needs sort of that refresher in that moment to say, okay, I need to be reminded of that again. Mm-hmm. Um, for more information about uh, YSM Young Street Mission, where can people get the know about you and know about the work that you do? Yeah, just go to our website, www.ysm.ca. Okay, excellent. Yeah. Thanks and Merry Christmas to you. And to you. Thank you, Melinda. Thanks for listening to Your Story with Melinda, an exclusive presentation of faithstrongtoday.com. Listen to past episodes by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes and join the conversation with Faith Strong Today on Facebook.